This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio. I love listening to audiobooks that weave together multiple perspectives and timelines, especially when women's lives and experiences are explored. In Wayward, the new novel by Amelia Hart, we follow three extraordinary women across five centuries, and their stories are brought to life in the audiobook by a full cast of narrators, Aisha Kala, Helen Keeley, and Nell Barlow. Past guest of the podcast, Sarah Penner, author of The Lost Apothecary, calls wayward, a spellbinding story about what may transpire when the natural world collides with a legacy of witchcraft. Start listening to Wayward by Amelia Hart now, wherever audiobooks are sold. Hello and welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zara-Popinski. And today, Amy Tector is back on the podcast to discuss her addictive new series, The Dominion Archives Mysteries. The great Louise Penny set of the first book. Amy Tector has created a fascinating, hugely likable main character in Jessica Novak. The Foulest Things follows archivist Jess from discovering letters hidden in antique books to the underbelly of the art world. With twists and turns, action and dashes of humor, we are sent on a literary joyride. And I have to say, I completely binge read these books. I loved them. And like many people, I have started watching the Three Pines series. And I think anyone who is enjoying um, the Louise Penny kind of adaptations is really going to like delving into the world of these books as well. So Amy Tector, congratulations on the new series. And thank you for coming back on the podcast. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me again, Laura. I'm delighted to be here. So I think that readers are really going to love um, diving into the first book, Foulest Things. And I know for me, as soon as I heard like archives and like intrigue in the archives and like historical artifacts, I was uh, very excited. And so maybe I'll have you first if you want to kind of talk about um, sort of the premise of Foulest Things and maybe just overall kind of what kind of what your vision for the Dominion Archives mystery series is. Yeah, um, absolutely. So um, The Foulest Things is set in 2010, so it's almost historical. No, it's not, but <laughs> it's a little bit in the past. Um, and it's, uh, it's uh, centered on um, uh, Jeff Novak, who is a, a, a brand new archivist starting at a fictional national archives, and I emphasize in Canada, a Canadian archives. Uh, and I emphasize fictional because I actually work at the Canadian National Archives called Library and Archives Canada. So I'd say it's, it's purely fictional. <laughs> There's no murder <laughs> happening in my workplace. Like None of those me. terrible co-workers are actually there. <laughs> exactly. And, and this is not based on any of my colleagues. If I cannot reiterate that enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't want to get in trouble. Um, but yeah, so, so Jess is this brand new employee. She's sort of young. She's quite unsure of herself professionally, and she's sort of figuring things out. And um, she's very, very keen, loves working in an archives, has that sort of passion for history and discovering things and connecting with the past that the archives can bring you. Uh, and so on her first sort of real job, she discovers a mysterious letter hidden in our ledger. Um, and that, that sort of ties her into this this historical mystery that's happening that's playing out through these letters uh, in Paris right right at the start of the first world war not the second the first um, and so so that's going on and her interest in these letters leads her to to sort of sneak in to the art vault at the at the Dominion, Dominion archives 
where she discovers a body. Uh, and so she's then plunged into a contemporary mystery and a present day mystery uh, where she's trying to sort of, she, she gets embroiled in what has happened in, 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 to this murder. Um, and, and of course the two missed the historical and the, and the contemporary have some overlap. And so she's, she's got to uncover both mysteries in order to resolve the story and save her own skin. Oh, it's so good. And I wasn't sure when I picked up book two, I was like, Ooh, so how's this series going to work? Is it going to be the same character? And she kind of stumbles upon a different mystery, but, um, it's the Dominion Archives is still involved, but we have a different protagonist. So can you talk a little bit about Speak for the Dead? Yeah, so it, it's it's very interesting. Uh, the, the, the Dominion Archives is the sort of unifying feature in the stories. Um, but I did I went with a different protagonist, which is not to say that in later books I might not come back to Jess. Um, I have to say. Um, oh, I hope you do, because I love her too. You know, just well, being a librarian. I'm like, archivist! <laughs> <laughs> That's the feedback I've gotten. And when I, I got that amazing blurb from Louise Penny, which is, you know, like career highlight, life highlight. And um, where she says readers are going to fall in love with just... <laughs> Jess and at the time I knew that my next book didn't have Jess in it and I thought oh no <laughs> but anyway so so Jess I love Jess too so she just I you know in future books she, she, I think there's going to be a merger of these two worlds but Speak for the Dead opens with um with a coroner and following the world of a coroner so she's not directly tied to the Dominion archives she's Kate she's uh sort of uh, she's very lonely, very isolated, and her brother has just died. Her, who was really her only, her only real uh, friendship and relationship. He has just died um, quite tragically and unexpectedly, and so she's mourning that loss. And her job as a coroner, it, and in and in Ontario, coroners are medical doctors. That's not always the case in different jurisdictions. But so Kate is a is a doctor, but her her specialty is being a coroner. Uh, so she's called out to investigate a death at a Dominion Archives facility. And so that's her, her way into the Dominion Archives is as an outsider. She's met with, a, with a, a young archivist again, who, but not Jess, who kind of helps her navigate what's going on in the archival world. Um, but Jess, uh, but Kate is seeing it more from an outsider perspective. Uh, and the story there is that she's called to this very specific uh, facility, a nitrate film storage facility, which is on an old uh, army base that's been abandoned. Nitrate film, sidebar, uh, this is where I really archivist nerd out. Nitrate film was this <laughs> amazing uh, film that was used from about, from about the turn of the 20th century to about the 1950s. Um, that is like uh, like an amazing film to capture images. It gets amazing details. It's this really incredible, wonderful medium, except um, they learned you can't store it. It starts to deteriorate quite quickly. And when it deteriorates, it becomes um, extremely combustible. So it becomes very, very dangerous and can, in fact, spontaneously combust. So archives around the world have had to build special facilities to store this film because it's so explosive um, that it can, you want to stop it from deteriorating. And then if it does deteriorate, you want to have all sorts of uh, safety measures in place to prevent horrible conflagrations, which have happened in the past. 
So anyway, so she's called out to this facility, um, uh, which is quite creepy and disused and, and um, uh, almost abandoned at, because a young woman has apparently hanged herself, uh, who, who is an employee at the archives. And Kate doesn't think that that it, that it was, in fact, suicide. And so her investigation um, leads her into the world of archives and uh, nitrate and hidden secrets and um, all sorts of stuff. Uh, that way. I love it. And, you know, as we, as we mentioned, Louise Penny, I know there's lots of Louise Penny fans. I feel like what made it feel just in that same vein is it is very character driven. You really care about the characters a lot and kind of get to know their worlds. It's not like too dark or graphic. Cause if it's a murder mystery, that's like too much and it's going to give me nightmares. Like I can't handle that. And so I feel like these are not, if people are sort of need like need them to not be too grisly like me, I feel like these are good for that. And then of course, just like in Canada and just addictive reads. I mean, I had a couple weekends where I started them and it like made the whole weekend because I was just like any moment I had, it was like stealing away to just like keep going with these characters. I was so invested in the mysteries, but I just can't recommend them enough. And I loved your your first novel that we talked about, The Honeybee Emeralds, and that also had sort of like the historical mystery uh, or like the mystery from history type thing in it and a theft. And I just am curious kind of how you went from that book, which I also love, to kind of deciding to craft this series. Um, yeah, as you said, I've now written three, I've published three books and all three of them have like definitely, there's always a connection back to history in the past, which I think reflects my interest in and my like professional life of being an archivist. I'm definitely, um, I'm always sensitive to that. And what I, what I do love is that idea of finding something secret hidden away. And so, um, Honeybee Emeralds was about a group of uh, women who find a necklace and then sort of do some historical research and digging and they, they find out the story of that necklace. Um, but there wasn't any murder. There was not, nothing sort of grisly. And, and I, I'm, I love murder mysteries, but like you, I don't like anything too, um, too grisly. <laughs> yeah. Um, too disturbing. So, so, yeah. And so an archive again, because it's, because the nature of an archive is that it is unknowable. It's not like a library book that you can catalog and categorize easily because it's written on a specific subject. Like library books can be, can, can be, um, um, contained in a way, but that archive by its very nature is all the stuff that's sort of been written without the intention of publication. So it's, so there's, so little unexpected things find their way into an archive, no matter how boring, <laughs> you know, even if it's like an archive of an accounting firm, there's still going to be, you know, you're going to find a cat paw print on a, on a, on a, on an old ledger, or you're going to find a note that the, that the accountant wrote to his wife when he was feeling grumpy. So, so that's what, that's what an archive contains. And I think that's always what I'm interested in. And so this idea of mystery of something hidden then lends itself very easily to murder mysteries. So that's kind of where I went. Like it's that I like the puzzle piece of the murder mystery. I like constructing a plot that, that has some twists and turns and is a little bit puzzling and you need to unravel. And so um, I, I feel like all three books, even though Honeybee isn't, a murder mystery have, have that same element of, of uh, deciphering a puzzle or unraveling clues. 
Well, and that was going to be one of my questions because it does feel so well crafted, all the twists and turns, both books kept me guessing the whole time and like the tension and the pace are really strong. And I just wondered, you know, for maybe aspiring writers in this genre, do you have any tips for kind of how you've gotten there either? Has it just been from sort of like a lot of practice from reading a lot in the genre from any particular like resources or books? Like what do you think has helped you? Uh, I think it's a lot of practice. I'm not a plotter. Um, so I, I write the story and then I, and then I go back and I revise and I revise and I revise and I layer in those sort of clues and those twists and turns. They're not there when I start because I don't know what I'm going to write. Um, so, so in that way, it, uh, it, it's harder. Um, but my brain just doesn't work on for, and I've tried, you know, um, uh, save the, there's all sorts of writing craft books, like save the cat. There's another one. Oh, I forget the name, but it's an, all about the third rail. There's all these different books that I think are massively helpful for people whose brains work that way, where they can think, all right, I'm going to have my tension here and I'm going to have my moment here. And then I, I don't do that. I write, I try to write shortish chapters, <laughs> And I try to have a what's going to happen next at the end of the chapter. Um, but beyond that, I think I've gotten to where I have gotten. And thank you very much uh, for saying those nice things, because I've spent 20 years writing bad books <laughs> and writing bad <laughs> chapters and revising and revising. So I, it's been kind of a slog. There's probably more efficient, smarter ways to do it than that but I do think you've got to practice and then what you have to do too which is the hardest thing I know is share your work with someone who can give you um, a critique and it's so painful and raw to do that because you're so vulnerable when you when you give someone your writing and say here I think this is good it's come from my heart and then that person what you want that person what you want the person to do is say, this is amazing. But what you actually want the person to do, if you want to grow as a writer, is say, this is great, but your character's not working. Uh, I didn't believe it when this thing happened. This is a super cliched. Um, you know, this is really, this is flat. That's what you want, as horrifying and terrible as it is to hear it, because then you then you start to see it and and you get better at not writing that way. But I'm a big believer. The thing that has helped me the most is my critiquing group and having people give me honest feedback. And that's where I have learned all of my writing techniques is, is from that. Um, but it's, it, it is a vulnerable thing. <laughs> yeah. And for you now, is it sort of, you'll work something out with your critique group before you would show it to like your editor or your agent? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. They, I'm, I'm just working on something else. And, and the, just this past weekend, we met over Zoom and, and they, <laughs> they, I, I just showed them two chapters and they were like, no, no, no. Like, oh. we don't even know what it's good now because we've been together for a really long time. So they don't even bother with the nice stuff because I don't need it from them. Like if I want, my husband can read it and tell me that I'm wonderful, but my critiquing <laughs> group, I want them now. I actually just, I'm not interested in their praise well, I do still like the praise, <laughs> but what I'm really after is them to say, Amy, like you, you've started in the wrong place. This is you, this is boring. No, it doesn't make any sense that she would go down that hallway. Why is she doing that? Like 
you know, this character doesn't seem to be realistic at all, blah, 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 blah. That is what is helpful. And then I get excited when I hear that because I'm like, I can see how I can fix it and make it better. Oh, that makes so much sense. Um, well, I'm sure kind of the the world of the archives in the first book, you kind of already had a handle on, even though they're fictional. Um, but what kinds of research did you have to do? Like, I was so interested in kind of like the art world in Paris and World War One and things like that. Were there kind of any interesting things you had to kind of do some research on to write phallus things? Um, oh, well, this is, <laughs> I can also go on for hours about this. So I'll restrain <laughs> myself. But the foulest things I actually wrote, it's set in 2010. And I actually wrote it probably like 2000 and uh, probably 2006 to 2009 is when I wrote it, um, which was exactly when I was uh, writing my dissertation on <laughs> on oh. the First World War. And so I was immersed in um, novels that were written between 1914 and 1920. Um, and uh, so I was reading all of those. And so the foulest things, all those Parisian letters are informed by um all the all the all that fictional reading from the time period that that I was doing so uh it was such a it was such a an escape valve for me from sort of the academic writing to turn and and use what I was learning in this different way it was it was phenomenal that's so cool and then for speak for the dead um you know you have kind of the uh like the protests going on and the nitrate film facility and then you know your main character this time is a coroner were there a lot of different things you had to research to kind of get um that book the way you wanted it to be um yes and your your question is uh, uncovering my sort of inherent laziness as well because um I, I did do a ton of research, but I also had some legs up in all of those uh, sort of spaces. My sister is a coroner. Uh, oh. And so, <laughs> so that. That's so really, smart, though. Make your character <laughs> something where you have like a great resource for like getting into the head of the character. A hundred percent. And she's been telling me for years, she, she'll often come over for dinner on a Wednesday night and. And she'll like need to just sort of, you know, talk through something that's happened. So she'll tell me sometimes these very eye popping coroner stories. So, um, uh, so I've, so I've, you know, I've, I knew that she had, she, she had the, she had the goods to explain it to me. So that, so that was massively helpful. But of course, then I did do lots of my own research, but she was my fact checker. And, and I dedicated Speak for the Dead to, to Susie because uh, she's such an inspiration for the book. Um, and then, um, and then the the protests. Uh, Canada is um, really coming to terms with uh, our relationship with, uh, especially with uh, Indigenous people, and and our and our role as you know a settler colonial society and what that means. And it's 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 a sort of constant in the in the ether and. Um, and at the at our national archives, we're doing that that same sort of thing. So there's so I'm cognizant of a lot of those issues and and challenges and like the amazing strength and resilience of indigenous people. So I, I was interested in portraying that, but I also knew that I, as a white woman, had to tread very carefully. So I worked with two sensitivity readers for. Um, for all those elements around um, indigenous issues and indigenous 
uh, you know, viewpoints and that sort of thing to make sure that I was, I was being as, as sensitive and, and uh, careful and truthful as I could be um, and not appropriating a voice when I, when I shouldn't. Um, and then for the nitrate, I, for all the nitrate stuff, I, I had a job for a year and a half of <laughs> moving a, a can, our, our national collection of nitrate film from our terrible disused, super creepy facility that was on an abandoned um, uh, Air Force base to a new facility. And so all of that description of the building and everything and how nitrate works and all that sort of stuff is, came from my professional experience. So I, so I threw all of that in because I found it so interesting at the time. So I was excited to use it. Well, it makes sense too to, I mean, write what you know in that way because you're able to bring it to life so well. And I'm curious just to go back to the sensitivity reader part um, because I know a lot of authors do that. And I, I would imagine there might be questions from listeners about like, how do you find sensitivity readers? Does your publisher help with that? Do you, I'm just curious how that works. Yeah. And I didn't know when I had those same questions and, you know, my first stop uh, was Google uh, and I did it and I first did it for the honeybee emeralds. Cause one of my point of view characters is Iranian and I wanted to make sure that I was, uh, getting that right. Uh, so I didn't have a publisher when I when I wrote Honeybee. So I did that all on my own. And um, there, you know, there's a few there's a few sort of resources out there. There's more and more sort of professional pe professional art groups offering that that kind of service. Um, you have, you must pay for a sensitivity read. Um, uh, you know, it, it's a, it's a service that, that, uh, somebody is offering you. So it, it, the expectation is that you are going to, you know, um, pay for this, pay for this, um, addition and enhance in and enhancement to your, to your book. So, um, and, and, you know, you have to, you have to pay well, you have to pay fairly. So that's important um, to know. Um, but then, yeah, Googling it, I went on Twitter and, and put a call out um, uh, for the, for the honeybee emeralds one. Um, and then I also contacted various, um, and my character was uh, Iranian uh, for, and living who had, uh, who had immigrated to the UK. So I contacted a rain of British U Iranian um, organizations and said, do you know someone who might be interested in this, who has the skills, who, you know, has some familiarity with writing and editing um, who could, who could facilitate with this. So I, so I did it that way through networking, um, you know? Um, yeah. And then my publisher, once Honeybee was published, I, or was going to be published, I said to them, you know, I, I have this character and I've done a sensitivity read, but, you know, and they were like, oh, we know someone. So they contacted an editor of Iranian Heritage and she had a second look and kind of made sure um, things were as they should be. So the publisher did help in that case. And then for um, Speak for the Dead, where I have um, indigenous char uh, characters, I did the same sort of thing. I, f I found them and I had a f I had more connections there. So it was it was a little easier to find to find someone. Or I found it's really helpful. Yeah. 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 Just to kind of get that sort of inside view. Um, I'm curious if there is, has been a particular part of um, writing this series and even like kind of figuring out what the connections are going to be book to book and the different characters. Is there a part that's been sort of the most difficult and maybe on the flip side, the part that you've um, enjoyed the most? 
Um, well, writing the books, I, d I do love always the sort of hearkening back to the history. So I, so for the foulest things, like I said, I just loved incorporating that sort of um, th that first world war perspective into the, into the story. Um, and then I do love the, puzzle of it all. So for both for speak as well, I, I had that same enjoyment of the puzzle of it all. And then I got I had to do a lot of research for my sort of twists and so on my my historical elements that are in speak for the dead. I, I needed to do a lot of like reading into history and stuff so that I so I got my facts right there. So um, I, I do enjoy that history element and then working it into into the, the puzzle. I find that very satisfying. And then um, I like to see how my characters grow um, because I start out with like a blank screen in front of me and I don't, I don't actually know really beyond my idea for speak for the dead was, Oh, that nitrate facility I worked at uh, was super creepy. It would be really creepy if someone died there. Like that was, that was the genesis of the book. Um, and so that's what I start with. And then I go from there Um uh, so my so I don't know who my characters are usually when I start, and by the time I finish that first draft, I have I have a glimmer, and so then what I find really fun is to go back and do my revisions in my second draft and my third draft, fourth draft, <laughs> where my person <laughs> comes alive much more, um, and that's immensely satisfying. Just feel like at the end of it, I've created this person who's who's uh, you know real at least in my head. Is there a part you find the most difficult of the process? Yeah, because of my terrible writing process, it's very inefficient. <laughs> um, I have to do a lot of revision, and I do find it I find it enjoyable. But also, I'm like, oh, like I, I go down wrong roads all the time, and I have whole tangents about things that then I have to cut because I realize they're not working and it's dragging and I've, I've gone the wrong way or this character wouldn't do that. So all, so the painful side of that revision is all, all the cutting that I have to do. And I always carefully save it because I think I'll come back and I'll use it. And then I, well, I know that, um, speak for the dead is just coming out soon. It will be out by the time this airs, but I'm curious if there's anything you can say about like what we'll see in book three or even who the protagonist is going to be anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've just, I submitted book three in November, so it'll be coming out in April of 2024. Oh, exciting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, uh, it's going to feature Kate again. <laughs> and my publisher has now scratched their head because it's not actually set at the Dominion Archives. So <laughs> although there are characters <laughs> coming from the Dominion Archives in the story, but um, they're like, Amy, what are you doing now? You've got, we've, <laughs> you've got two different protagonists <laughs> and now the setting was supposed to be the unifier, but this time I've gone, I've gone somewhere else. I'm actually from the Eastern townships of Quebec, which is where Louise Penny is from, of course. Um, and I have always wanted to write a book set in the townships. And I just, I started writing this latest one and it was meant to be set in Ottawa, but I don't know. I kept ending up in the township. So it's actually, it's, it's set in a fictionalized, not three pines, <laughs> different Ooh. part of the township. Um, but uh, yeah. And I got to sort of incorporate a lot of my, you know, my, my childhood and my memories of that, like just beautiful landscape that has so formed me. So, um, so Kate, 
um, the sort of hardened, the world-weary coroner from book two is going to be in, uh, in the Eastern Townships for uh, solving solving a mystery there with with connections to archives. Don't worry, and connections to the Dominion <laughs> archives and those characters um, uh, interspersed. But uh, yeah, so that's that's oh, what's going to happen. Exciting. So I'm sure things can change, but is the idea now shooting for like a book every springish? Um, maybe. Um, we'll have to see. <laughs> I, I was lucky enough this past year, 2022, um, to to have it to be able to take a year abs- a leave of absence from my job. Um, but now I'm I'm back at work, so we'll have to see. I would love I would love that, um, but realistically, am I going to be able to do it? We'll we'll see. <laughs> yeah, in that case might be might be hard then. Um, yeah. Well, just lastly, I always love to hear what authors have been reading themselves. Are there any books you'd want to recommend to listeners? Yeah, I, I mean, on the sort of subject of Eastern Townships um, uh, and and mysteries, um, uh, Morris Crossfield writes um, what he calls our uh, townships noir. Uh, so he's got two books out now. I haven't read the second one, but The Granby Liar is set in sort of a gritty 1970s. Um, it's a it's a quick quick um, uh, mystery. Uh, set in the Eastern Townships, uh, much sort of uh, not darker, but but more noir, I would say, than a Louise Penny book. But if people love that sort of environment, then that's the Morris Crossfield's uh, books are good. And the, the first one's The Granby Liar, which which was a lot of fun to read. And then nonfiction, I am deep into Untangled by uh, Lisa Damour, uh, who and it's about <laughs> raising uh, teenage girls. And I have a 13 year old and every second page I'm like highlighting things. I'm going to, I'm going to get it. I was, I borrowed it from the library and now my time is up. So I'm going to buy a copy. I'm going to make my husband read it. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, this is the, <laughs> this oh. is the key to unlocking what has happened to our sweet baby. Um, so I'm oh. finding it amazingly uh, helpful. I'm going to have to send a note to myself like seven years in the future. Yes. Read this book. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly can't tell so we're not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Read it's this. Helpful. Yeah. It's very helpful. Oh, that's great. I'll link to both of those for sure. Well, I really hope listeners um, go pick up The Foulest Things and Speak for the Dead. They are just such addictive binge-worthy books that you're going to want to sink into maybe they're like the fire under a blanket I don't know they're just like nice mysteries to curl up with um and uh yeah I hope people go pick it up from their local bookstore or library and um Amy just thank you for coming on again and congratulations on the new series oh thank you so much for having me this was so much fun For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.